Welcome to season three of Politics and Psychology. Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening, whether this is your first time or you've been listening since day one. I truly appreciate you listening and joining and sharing in the conversation. And because of that, I have given everyone a new title. So we are now called The Informers. So think of it like The Avengers, where we are The Informers because we're actually giving out information to help fight against mistruths or censored information. And we can then inform those we love in our communities so we can make better decisions for ourselves, our loved ones, communities, and definitely for our country. So again, thank you so much. Now, today we are discussing diagnosing Donald, Joe, and Mitch. But first, let's hear some of the welcome greetings some of you have sent in. We also did get DMs on social media at Politics and Psychology, whether it's on Facebook and Instagram. And so thank you to everyone who sent in your well wishes. And let's hear a few of our welcomes right now. Hi, this is TT calling from Hartford County, Maryland. Dr. Carr, I am so looking forward to season three. I love your topics. I love the conversation, and I can't uh, can't wait to see what you've got in store this season. Toodles! And we have a DM or direct message on the Instagram for Politics and Psychology. It's from Josh, and Josh says, Congratulations, Dr. Carr, on season three. I've seen you grow from 70 to almost 400. I've been a fan since day one. Aww. Well, thank you everybody for sending in your messages. And if you want to hear your shout out or voicemail opinion or anything you want to say, then you can definitely call us on our new call in line, which is 410-770-2992. And of course, you can always direct message the show or leave a comment on the chats on our Instagram or Facebook profiles. And also we will begin having with this season an uncomfortable question of the week. And those will be available to you on our Instagram and Facebook social media pages. And you can look for that every Monday. And you can either then send in through a DM directly on the website or just posting inside the uh, post itself and give us your comments about your answer for the uncomfortable question of the week. So look for that starting on Monday. So when we think about our elected officials and their health, Let's consider the recent press that former President Trump is receiving, as well as our current president, Joe Biden, and also Mitch McConnell. Now, during an election, whether it is a local one for positions such as mayor, city council, or even your school board, whether it's that or for a federal level for congressional or presidential elections, it's very important for us to consider if the person that we are considering voting for is mentally and physically able to perform those duties. And when you vote for a person, whether it's local or national, what we do is we vote for the person that we think either cares about us and will fight for what we care about, or we think that that person is the best person for the job compared with any of the other candidates. We vote based on their messaging, their physical appearance, their history or track record, and of course, their campaign promises. And when I mention having a physical appearance as one of the variables that we look for, that's because how a person looks has a subconscious influence on how attractive, literally and physically, we perceive him or her to be as a viable candidate for elected office. And we have different subconscious measures of what 
the quote-unquote appropriate level of physical attractiveness is for a local politician versus a state-level politician versus a presidential level. So depending on the higher up they are will be how we decide if the person is either too attractive or not attractive enough for them to be at that local level. And this is not meant to be mean, but it's just what we do naturally. Even when you look at baby studies and recognizing who is an attractive person or who is not, you will see infants six weeks and I think between six weeks and 12 weeks who will look longer at the person who has eyes that are even and equal in size and dimension and width away from their nose, then they will look at someone who is not with same symmetry on both, you know, on their whole face. So again, this is not focusing on subjective beauty, but more of a natural inclination to be attracted to people who are attractive. And that's why you will see a more attractive person get the job faster or easier than a less attractive person. And similarly, if they are too attractive, we may not vote for them for president or for office, but they have to be attractive enough that we would then see them as a likable person. So although we have these different subconscious measures using a physical attractiveness and we have their outward appearance as one of those factors of if we should vote for them, this does not have any direct link, obviously, on how competent a politician is or will be, but it is still a very strong characteristics. So we as voters, when we consider their actual physical health, then we also will have to think of the same thing. How fit are they for duty in serving us based off their physical health? Do they have health complications that will affect their ability to do their job or are they mentally stable enough and able to think clearly enough when making decisions that will affect our community or our country? So these are the things we have to consider consciously when we think about a person's not only physical appearance, but also their psychological performance and fitness, as well as their physical performance and fitness. So let's look at Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and Mitch McConnell. There has been a lot of press lately surrounding the health of these leaders, but no one has publicly stated with confidence their health conditions or a given diagnosis from the White House or from the congressional offices. And the reason for this is because their individuals, they have their own PR teams that do damage control, reputation management, and in order for that to be allowed or accepted as a valid diagnosis, then they would have to accept that their leader or the person in office is no longer viable or fit for duty. And of course, no one wants the plane to go down. So they want to just keep on having the appearance of this person is completely competent and completely able to perform. But it is important for us as voters to be able to have unbiased and uncensored information so that we can make the best voting decisions. So let's start with the diagnoses. In diagnosing Mitch McConnell, let's look at his recent press appearances. We see him freezing, forgetting to speak, and having a lost look or a vacant look in his eyes. Now, Mitch McConnell is 81 years old, so with aging, there will be some natural decline in agility or how fast he could move, but also natural decline in how fast a person can think. And so when we had 
uh, we saw him having a major fall in 2023. And when he had that fall, he did experience a concussion. And a concussion is an injury to the brain. And that either affects it having hit against the skull of the brain, or there was a huge impact outside of the body where the head was hit. And then it caused the brain to either bounce against the skull or have a twisting. And so whenever you have a person who has old age, such as 81, and then having a brain injury, this will then have a combined effect of then likely having neurological damage. Now, whenever you have a concussion that is considered a TBI or a traumatic brain injury, because that's trauma happening to your brain, it's hitting against the skull, and sometimes you'll also have cell death because of that concussion. Depending on your age, if you have a concussion at 15, your brain and body will heal a lot faster than if you were 50 and definitely if you were 81. So when you are 81 years of age, it's not as easy for your cells to regenerate. And that's one of the hallmark symptoms of aging. And that's part of the cell death. So when you have a concussion at an older age, and then you have the long-term consequences of that, when you're older, it will be much longer and much more severe for the consequences of that TBI or that concussion. So looking at Mr. McConnell, When we see him later on in this year, we then see him freezing up twice on camera and not able to speak. And we can then also see him freezing and again, having the vacant look in his eyes as if he's not really sure where he is or who he is or what he's supposed to be doing. So having that combination of events happening, trauma to the brain, and then seeing him losing his cognitive ability and also his physical abilities and being able to move with agility, we can then safely conclude that the fall that Mr. McConnell had in March combined with his aging had a very large impact on his cognitive or his thinking ability. And so then the diagnosis for him will be a mild neurocognitive disorder due to a traumatic brain injury. And as the minority leader of the United States Senate and also obviously a member of Congress, he has the ability to make decisions that will affect not only his home state, but also laws that will affect our country. And so if you have a cognitive decline and we can see it happening pretty rapidly from March until a few months later, this is only September. So if you can see that, then that is going to affect his ability to make decisions and to clearly have thought processes that will be able to be for the betterment of our country and for his roles. And so when you're considering, when you're voting who to vote for, we have to ask ourselves if he, Mitch McConnell, or any other candidate with a similar diagnosis, if they are truly fit for duty with having mild neurocognitive disorder due to a traumatic brain injury, and if they're also able to be fit for such high levels of power. Now let's diagnose President Joe Biden. So similar to Mitch McConnell, we can see evidence of some cognitive decline with Mr. Biden. However, their causes, the level of severity, and the symptoms are different. For example, although President Biden is only one year younger than Mr. McConnell, being 80 years old, we do see Biden appearing to be much 
physically healthier and in better physical health than McConnell. Cognitively, Biden is also healthier, meaning we do not see the neurocognitive declines such as extensive freezing in speech and eye contact and loss of train of thought as we do with Mr. McConnell. However, Biden does forget his words at times and he does have freezing on camera and he does have very slow movements that we may see. But the difference between McConnell and Biden is that Biden does not have both physical and cognitive freezing and Biden also does not have the absent look in his eyes as if again he has forgotten where he is or who he is. And that's what you would see for dementia, like a neurocognitive diagnosis. So instead, Biden's cognitive decline appears to be more from a combination of his aging, possibly not having enough sleep, which is what most presidents don't really have, a lot of sleep, and also having high stress levels. So if you look at a lot of the presidents as they age, they age faster than a man who is in their similar age group because of their high stress and lack of sleep. So we can assume whenever anyone has any high stress and lack of sleep, you will not be able to think as clearly. Think for yourself, if you have been up all night, either studying for an exam or preparing for a work presentation, your thinking is not going to be as quick as if you would have had a full night's sleep and if you would have had no stress in your life. So when you combine older age, less sleep, high stress, that's going to have a natural presentation of appearing to be cognitive decline that would be very temporary and very situation specific, which is different from a neurological decline in thinking. We can also say that the decline that we see in President Biden for his physical health can also be attributed to his age, meaning that when we see him, He's not moving as fast and he's moving slower when he's either moving and walking. And he has had multiple falls when he's walking both up the steps and down the stairs. So whenever you think of just walking slowly, it's usually because your muscle fibers have shortened and also your ability to move faster is no longer there. So when you have an older person who is walking quickly like they used to be able to walk, but their muscle fibers, their muscle elasticity has declined, then they're thinking they can walk a lot faster than what their body actually can do. And this is what we see with Biden. He is used to walking and running. We've seen him do that at the White House with former President Barack Obama, but he's still thinking that he can walk and move faster and whenever he's thinking that, but his body cannot do it, that is the primary reason that we're seeing specifically with Biden's falls. So whether it's physically or cognitively, President Biden does show declines, but because his levels of declining health are within still the normal range of functioning for males of his same age group, then the diagnosis for President Joe Biden is... Cognitive and physical health decline due to normal aging. So now let's look at former President Donald Trump and for his diagnosis. Now, unlike President Biden and Mitch McConnell, Trump does not appear to have any signs of cognitive or physical decline that would affect his ability to effectively serve as an elected official. 
However, his areas of compromise do come from a form of a personality disorder rather than a neurocognitive disorder. So with the other two, I gave the diagnosis at the end, but for uh, Mr. Trump, I do have to give it to you now so you can see for yourself the criteria that we would use to make this diagnosis and seeing how that would render Mr. Trump unfit for office. So his diagnosis is, drumroll, President Donald Trump does have narcissistic personality disorder. Now, when you compare the differences between a neurocognitive disorder and a personality disorder, you look at what is the reason or what were the causal factors for either of the disorders. And the reason why it's called a disorder is because it's out of order for how a normal human brain, human mind, or human behavior should be for development or just in function. So a neuro cognitive disorder is a diagnosis where the primary deficit or the main impairment is in a person's cognitive ability and functioning. And this dysfunction is acquired, meaning something happened that caused the person to experience a cognitive decline. So they might've had a brain injury, been in a car accident, took drugs, but something happened to the person to cause this decline. So in contrast with a personality disorder, the personality disorder is what we see developing from a person, usually around early adolescence or early adulthood, and it's an inner experience. So it's inside them as well as an outside pattern of behavior, but this inner experience, meaning how they're thinking, how their mind is operating, and what their behaviors are because of that thinking this combination causes a pattern of long-term, lifelong behaviors, which is what we call it a personality. And those behaviors and ways of thinking are so extremely different from that person's culture and how other people in that culture think or operate as a society. And this abnormal way of thinking and viewing the self, meaning the person with the personality disorder, and how that person views others is always something that they would have had, but it just manifested or became expressed during their adolescence or um, early adulthood. Whereas again, with a neurocognitive, it happens later on in life. It's usually an abnormal experience because something happened to the brain. So neurocognitive happens to the brain Whereas a personality disorder is part of the mind, the mind, the thinking part of it. So whenever you have these maladaptive ways of coping and viewing, it's always a very lifelong effect. And whenever you look at Donald Trump, we can see that he clearly does have narcissistic personality disorder because his symptoms have been there for as long as we've known of him in the press even if we had earlier footage of him during his teenage years. And it's his hallmark personality, the traits of narcissism that we see, that we can clearly say that Mr. Trump does have this disorder. And mainly that is his view of the world and himself and it causing him to speak and behave with the underlying belief that not only is he extremely unique, but that he's also extremely special compared to any other person that he may know. And he may 
feel as if because I am so unique and because I am special, then I have an internal expectation of everyone admiring me and I have a high need for admiration. I'm also going to have the hallmark behavioral symptoms of grandiosity or having a self-importance about myself and a very showy behavior and also lacking empathy for others. So if you look at during his term as president, as well as afterward, we can see the persistent behavioral patterns and the persistent speech that he gives that would show us his grandiose behaviors and feelings of self-importance. And what is particularly interesting is that for psychologists, for us to make this diagnosis, then the person really only has to show five of the nine criteria. However, with Mr. Trump, he exhibits all nine. So I'm going to give them to you so you can make your own decision on being doctor for the day. So one, um, criteria number one, exaggerating accomplishments and achievements and expecting to be recognized as superior. Two, being preoccupied with unlimited power, success, and brilliance. Criteria three, beliefs of being special and so unique that only other special and unique persons can understand him or her. Criteria four, requiring excessive and constant admiration. Five, having a strong sense of entitlement and a strong expectation for favorable treatment. Six, exploiting others to achieve personal desires, goals, or success. Criteria seven, being unwilling to recognize the feelings and needs of others. Eight, believing others are jealous of him or her. And criteria number nine, showing arrogant and condescending behaviors and attitudes toward anyone else. So when you consider the fitness for duty of Mr. Trump, then although he does not show any of the decline in cognitive functioning that Biden and McConnell show, it is his high levels of narcissism that actually rendered Trump unfit for office. And it's not because he is in any way mentally or physically incapable of handling his presidential duties, but it's actually more because he is more likely to abuse power and privilege that comes along with being not only in elected office, but surely as being president of a country. So in our current society, of not wanting to offend anyone or wanting to be as inclusive as possible, then we have to still use wisdom and truth in recognizing a person's actual limitations. It might be tempting to say, okay, well, we don't want to be ageism or ageist countries. We don't want to discriminate against anybody because of their age. But if it's their age and age-related cognitive and physical declines that we're seeing, then we have to also acknowledge that it is their age and mental capacity that we as voters should consider when we're making a decision on who to vote for. Or think about, again, like with Trump, no cognitive decline related to aging, but he does have a narcissistic personality disorder, which is a mental health disorder. So when we're making voting decisions, then if a person has a mental health disorder, such as being narcissistic, then we do have to be smart in recognizing that there are some mental health disorders that do indeed make a person unfit for political office. 
So my goal today was to give you the accurate and uncensored information about our current elected officials, as well as those running for office for 2024. And I do make the disclaimer that although the diagnosis for Trump is pretty clear cut, I could only give a very mild diagnosis for Mitch McConnell and President Biden. And I say mild, meaning I'm giving you the diagnosis at the very minimal criteria that we're looking at. I don't have any access to either of their MRIs if they have any, but because I don't have any MR results for any of them, I cannot make a conclusion of having a more severe level of cognitive decline or neurocognitive disorder. Well, we still can safely say that they have enough of the symptoms and presentations that we can conclude that they do have at least mild levels of neurocognitive decline. So again, it is essential that we as voters have accurate information when it comes to the health of our elected officials and those running for political office. And if they are experiencing noticeable cognitive or physical health decline, it is no longer okay to just focus on being inclusive when it comes to maintaining high levels or the utmost high levels of power that can make rules and other decisions that will affect our current country, our future society and future generations. So we have to recognize that if they're having cognitive or physical health declines, then they are no longer able to make the best decisions or to competently serve. So we can be kind, but we have to also be smart. And that goes along with us using science and love. So that does end our time for today. Um, episode number one of season three. But I really do appreciate you listening. And please continue this conversation using science and love. Walk the path of light. And if you run.